Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join our lead pastor, Mike Wiggins, for the message, Death Defeated. All right, so as we continue our verse-by-verse study in 1 Peter, we're coming to one of the most fascinating passages in all of the New Testament. The reason it's fascinating is because this passage deals with a topic that the New Testament doesn't deal with a lot. And the topic is this, where did Jesus's disembodied spirit go between his death and his bodily resurrection? In other words, most people know what happened on Friday, and most people know what happened on Sunday, welcome to Easter at Calvary, but not a lot of people know what happened on Saturday. You see, we know about his crucifixion, his resurrection, but what about his descent? And you say, well, his descent where? I'm gonna seek to answer that question when we get to verse 19, but because we're a verse-by-verse church, we gotta deal with verse 18 (laughs) before we get to verse 19. And I love it because verse 18, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the greatest gospel verses in the entire Bible. And so right now, if you're either looking at the Bible or looking at the screen at 1 Peter 3.18, can you say amen so I know we're all together? This is God's word. We need to honor God's word. And one of the ways we honor him is through our attention. And so Peter wrote this. The apostle Peter, the one who saw Jesus alive after he had been dead. He said, for Christ also suffered, how many times for sins, by the way? Once, you see that under the old covenant, they kept bringing the animals over and over, um, slaying the animals, sacrificing the animals um, as an atonement for their sin. It all, all those animals pictured Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, and his suffering and death was once for all. Okay, so for Christ also suffered once for sins, and I want you to really focus on these next few words. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. All right, so the good news is that Christ's passion had a purpose, and that leads you to your first point today. And the first point from 1 Peter 3.18 is that Jesus suffered and he died, and I want you guys to shout out the last three words there. See that? In our place. What is that? That's the substitutionary atonement. One of the fundamental doctrines of the true Christian faith, that there was purpose in Christ's death, that he died and he suffered in our place. Peter said that the righteous suffered and died for the unrighteous. All right, so who's the righteous one? His name is Jesus. Who are the unrighteous ones? All of us. And so Jesus suffered and he died for all of us, and wow, did he ever suffer. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you got a taste of how Christ suffered in our place. And so the scriptures say that after they arrested him illegally, and then after they um, accused him falsely, after they testified against him dishonestly, after they blindfolded him, inhumanely and spit on him shamefully after they kept punching him in the face repeatedly. And not only that, 
Afterwards, they mocked him mercilessly and whipped him brutally. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And they took a reed and they kept beating the crown deeper and deeper into his skull. And if that's not enough, then they took him to a place called Calvary. Golgotha, the place of the skull. One of the reasons our church and millions of churches around the world are called Calvary is because we choose to make the cross central to this local church. Calvary is where they took him, the place of the skull. And they drove spikes through his wrists and through his feet. They lifted him up on the cross in between two robbers. That was at 9 a.m. Matthew goes on and he tells us what happened three hours later. Matthew says that from the sixth hour, 12 p.m., there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you know um, and you studied this before, you know that he was quoting Psalm 22, one from the cross. Why? Why would Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's why. Because on the cross, Christ was cut off from the Father as he became a sacrificial offering for our sins. Paul put it this way. Paul said, for God made Christ, who never sinned, the spotless Lamb of God, to be the offering for our sin. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so the good news of the gospel wouldn't be good news unless we understand first the bad news. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, so I gotta tell you the bad news before we get to the good news. The bad news is this. Even though you and I were made in the image of God, we've turned our backs on God. We're sinners. And God, who is holy and just, has given a decree. God, the judge of the world, has said this. The wages of sin is, help me out, church family, what? Death. Death. And so the bad news is that our sins are actually crimes against our creator. Crimes that we've committed. Our culture takes sin lightly. They're frivolous about sin, but what they don't realize, they didn't create themselves. They didn't think of themselves. God knit them together in their mother's womb. God is their creator. And their sins, our sins too, are crimes against the creator, and the penalty of sin is death. And so the judge has given us the sentence over all mankind, and this is you and I, um, you and I also, and that is the sentence of death. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about physical death, 
and we're talking about spiritual death. Why? Because our being is not just material, it's also immaterial. We don't just have a body, we also have an immortal soul. And so the body may die, you may take your last breath, your heart may stop beating, and they'll cremate you or they'll bury you six feet under. But you need to know this, your soul is immortal. There is no such thing as annihilation for the soul. And your soul will guarantee, mark it down, go and live in one of two places forever and ever, either heaven or hell. The wages of sin is death. That's not just physical death, that's also spiritual death. What is spiritual death? It is being cut off from the Father forever where you have to pay for your sins in hell. That's the bad news. How many of you are really happy for good news on Easter Sunday, right? And this is why we all love John 3, 16. This is why you see the guys in the end zones at the football games with the big John 3, 16 signs because we wanna get this message out that God is not just a God of justice, he's also a God of love. And so God, so, shout out the next word, loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever, anybody, believes in him should not perish. You see, the per being, perishing is real, but that's not God's heart. Should not perish, but have eternal life. And so God did not want us to pay for our own sins apart from him in hell forever. So what did he do? This God of love sent his son, and Jesus Christ paid the ransom on the cross for our sins in our place. Listen, Jesus took the death penalty for you and I. The death penalty that we deserved, he took it. Why? Look again at verse 18, here's why. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, here's why, that he might bring us to God. What a savior. And this leads you to your next point, and that is that Christ's passion, not only did he suffer and die in our place, but he also suffered and died to bring us to God. And so here's how it works, ladies and gentlemen, that this truth that I'm sharing with you, it's not enough just to give intellectual assent to it and say, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus died 2,000 years ago for the world. You're on the right track, that won't save your soul. So if you're going this way, Right, and you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you turn from your sin, crimes against the creator, you say no. And you turn from them, and you turn to Christ. You see him on the cross, and you believe personally that his death was sufficient to pay the full ransom for your sin. And then, you believe that three days later he got up and he walked out of the grave victorious over sin and death. And here's what you gotta do. You gotta receive the gift. You have to receive Christ as your personal Savior and Lord of your life. And if you'll do that, it's a big if. And I'm so sad that so many people, they know facts about religion in their head, but it never goes from their head to their heart. Why? Because they never received the gift. And if you'll receive the gift, 
Jesus, our great mediator, will take the hand of the Father and he'll take your hand and he will join those hands together and he will bring you to God. He will reconcile you. He'll forgive your sins, washing them all clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you take your last breath, you'll go straight to be with him in heaven. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we're celebrating today. And so we're gonna now go deeper in our study as we continue to go verse by verse and we're gonna look at the rest of verse 18. Okay, so check it out on your screen or in your Bible. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Here we go, we're going deeper now, right? being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. All right, so what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit? And now we come to this fascinating question. What happened to Jesus between Friday and Sunday? And so author and pastor, and by the way, Greek scholar, Chuck Swindoll, faithful, faithful man of God for decades, he said, in my view, in the flesh refers to Christ's physical death and dying in this physical earthly world and in the spirit refers to his continued existence as a disembodied spirit being alive in the spirit world. Okay, so here's the question. Where did Jesus' spirit go between his death and resurrection? And the answer can be found in our very next verse. Okay, so here's verse 19. Visitors, if you kind of see what's going on here, we're just going verse by verse. And so what I'll do now, before I read verse 19, I'll read the rest of 18, and you'll see how it flows together. And so speaking of Jesus, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, here's verse 19, in which, in the spirit, he went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And so after his crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea took down, with Pilate's permission, the body of Jesus from the cross. Let's, the Roman soldiers would have just throw, thrown him into the town garbage heap. But Joseph, the rich guy, got permission from Pilate. He took the body down, and him and Nicodemus, they went and they put Jesus in Joseph of Arimathea's own family tomb. By the way, I don't know if you knew it or not, but Joseph fulfilled an ancient prophecy, one of many in the Old Testament, literally fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament, Isaiah 53, 9, about how Jesus was buried with the rich. And so even though Jesus' body was in the grave, you need to know that his spirit was not. His spirit went on a journey to the underworld to proclaim a message to the quote-unquote spirits in prison. Now, a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor and a great Bible commentator, by the way, he'll really help you in your devotions if you'll go to Enduring Word. But he's, David Guzik said this, apparently this work was done in the period after Jesus' death but before his first resurrection appearance to the disciples. Jesus went to, what's the word? Hades, that's the Greek word for the abode of the dead. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, it's Sheol, same thing. So Jesus went to Hades, the abode of the dead, and he preached 
to the spirits there. And by the way, there, to give you some more resources, there's a great article on gotquestions.org. The article is, did Jesus go to hell between his death and resurrection? The answer is that he went to Hades. He went to the abode of the dead, which by the way, Paul alludes to in his letter to the Ephesians. Okay, so Paul writing about this, Ephesians 4, 9, he said, he said, know this, this term, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now I understand when the pre-incarnate glorified Christ came by way of a virgin's womb into this world, he descended to our world. But I submit to you that he, between Friday and Sunday, descended in his disembodied spirit even further down. He went to Hades, he went to the underworld, which had at least two sections during the Old Testament times. I'm gonna explain that in a moment, and to help me explain it, I gotta tell you a story on this Easter Sunday morning. And so the story is actually told by Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 16, and it's about eternal things. And Jesus, by the way, knows a little bit about eternal things. Jesus said there was two guys, a rich man and a poor man. He said that the poor man's name was Lazarus. And by the way, this is how we know, second part of Luke 16, that this is not a parable. Jesus gave lots of parables, but in his parables, he wouldn't use proper names. In this story, he used the name. His guy's name is Lazarus. Okay, this is a true story. And so Lazarus was this sickly poor guy, didn't have a penny to his name. Apparently, he couldn't even walk because Jesus said they had to lay him at the gate of a rich man. Okay, so can you see him there? Jesus said he's filled with sores. Dogs are coming and licking his sores. Why is he laying there of all places? Because he's hoping that the rich guy over there in the, the mansion will give him some scraps from his table to eat. And so he's waiting, and guess what? The rich man is ignoring him. Day after day, week after week, maybe month after month, and year after year, but we know that this rich guy ignored Lazarus and didn't give him anything. Now, in another place, Jesus said this. This is a, an awesome verse. He said, by their fruits, you will know them. By their fruits, you will know them. How do you really know someone's saved? Well, that's a whole other sermon. There's lots of ways, right? But here's one of the big ways. By their fruit, you will know them. Is there a changed life? In the rich man's life, the fact that he hoarded his wealth and ignored the poor showed and proved that this guy was not a believer. Jesus goes on with the story and he said that Lazarus died. And, and Lazarus, his spirit, his soul, was carried, Jesus said this, by the angels to a place called Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't have a death wish. I, I love life. I wanna live life to its fullest. I wanna live for the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of my days, serving him and serving people. I don't have a death wish, but here's what you need to know. I do not fear death. 
I do not dread death because I know by God's grace that when I get ready to take my last breath, the angels are gonna come for me. Not because I'm so good, not because I'm good at all, but because our Savior Jesus Christ is great and glorious and awesome. That's why. And you can have the same assurance too if you'll come to him in genuine repentance and faith. He will become real to you. It won't just be a religion, it'll be a living relationship with the living God. And so the angels came, and guess what? Jesus said, and he knows a lot about this stuff. They took him to Abraham's bosom. So he was in a section of Hades, the underworld, the abode of the dead, a place of comfort, a place of blessing, a place of paradise. Abraham's bosom. Abraham, if you're new to the Bible, is that great patriarch from the Old Testament, Genesis 12 and following. He is the father of all who have true faith in the true God. Jesus went on. He said the rich man also died. Here's the tragedy. Jesus said in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Ladies and gentlemen, hell's real. The culture may deny it. The so-called academics may scoff. But you need to know that Jesus, who knows a lot about this stuff, said in hell, this guy lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And from Jesus' story, we received this revelation that Hades, or the underworld, had at least two sections during Old Testament times. It had a torment section and a tranquility section. It had a place of blessing, it had a place of judgment, it had a place of perdition, it had a place of paradise in Old Testament times. The rich man from the perdition section of Hades sees Abraham and Lazarus. Oh yeah, that poor guy who used to lay at my gate and I used to ignore. And he cries out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. And right now I'm, I'm quoting Jesus Christ here, Luke 16, 24. The rich man said, for I am in anguish in this flame. This is a true story, it's not a parable. And you need to know that because your soul is immortal, this rich guy right now on Easter Sunday morning, 2021, he's still there. But Abraham denied his request, and he said there's an unpassable chasm between the two sections. And so after his death, here's what you need to know. I told you that story for two reasons. One is to remind everybody of the reality of heaven and hell, and that we have a gospel we should be sharing with people of the good news of how they can experience God's love and God's forgiveness through Christ. The other reason I told you the story is to remind everybody that Jesus, when he died, his disembodied spirit did not go into the perdition section of the underworld. In other words, there are some TV preachers and they'll say that Jesus died and then he went into hell. He went into the fire in order to fully pay for our sins. That is a false doctrine. The reason I know it's false is because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. He didn't say, it's halfway finished, but I gotta go down there and finish it. 
No, ladies and gentlemen, everything that was needed to pay the price for your sin was paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. Paid in full. It is finished. He did it for you because he loves you. He did it for you because he doesn't want you to be cut off from the Father forever. This is the greatest love story ever told. And so, he, Jesus, in his disembodied spirit, went to the paradise portion of the underworld. You say, how do you know this for sure? Because of what he said to the repentant thief. The thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, today. Can we all say that word today? Not soul sleep. <laughs> you don't die and sleep until the resurrection. No, no, no. Today, you will be with me in where? Paradise. And so the Lord died around 3 p.m. Later on, the repentant thief died, but guess what? That very day, they met up in paradise. And you also need to know that when Christ ascended, apparently he emptied this paradise portion of Hades and he led the Old Testament saints directly into the presence of the Father in heaven, Ephesians 4, 8, and 9. And so someone says, well, where do New Testament believers in Christ go when they die? If you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Listen to the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. What does that mean? That means because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, when you and I as believers in Christ take our last breath, we immediately go into the presence of the Lord. This is why we're grateful for the new covenant. Yeah, we should thank God for the new covenant. <laughs> Established in the blood of Jesus Christ. Back to our passage, it says in verses 19 and 20 that Peter says now, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. All right, so we're gonna try to figure out who these spirits are. He went to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the, here's a clue, days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared. So whoever these spirits are, they're from the time of Noah. He says, in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah's family, were brought safely through the water. Now, before we move on, I gotta explain in the Greek as we're trying to figure out who these spirits in prison are, at the top right-hand side of your screen, the word spirit in the Greek is pneuma, pneuma. But there's a different Greek word when Peter writes about the eight persons of Noah's family. On the second to last line, if you see the two words eight persons, can you say amen? Okay, that word persons in the Greek is not pneuma, it's suke, suke. So why do you bring this up, Pastor? Because there is a doctrine out there that says that this whole passage doesn't mean that Jesus descended anywhere, but that Jesus, his spirit, preached through Noah, as pre Noah was preaching in the time before the flood to the people. But, but, but here's the thing, the, the, at least a segment of these people of Noah's time, the eight persons in Noah's family, that's the word suke. But in the Greek, we're talking about the spirits in prison, that's pneuma. I don't, I don't think, I don't believe that doctrine's true. And so, who are these spirits in prison? This is why many scholars believe it's referring to the fallen angels. 
fallen angels, a certain segment of them. You guys remember um, how there was a coup in heaven, right? The holy angels stayed true to God, but Lucifer took these angels, they tried to take over heaven, they got the boot, right? You remember all this? Fallen angels became demons. Well, this is the spirits in prison because a segment of them did something so heinous, so wrong, so evil, that God had to lock them up. I don't have time to get into it, uh, but if you study Genesis 6, one through four, Jude, verses six and seven, and we will get into it deeply when I get to later, 2 Peter 2, 4, um, you'll see that in Noah's day, certain evil spirits impacted the physical realm. We're not sure how exactly they did it. Some theorize that they, um, demonic possession of wicked men, but nonetheless, here's what we know from Genesis 6, one through four, that they had relations with certain women and apparently produced the Nephilim or the giants. So what did they do? They did this wicked, heinous sin. God said, you're gonna be punished for that. You're never gonna do that again. Jude tells us the punishment. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, God has kept, look at this, in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. These evil angels, and by the way, there's, there's lots of demons that are still free today in this world, but these were chained, why? So they would never do such a horrible thing again. Some believe that by having relations with these women, they were trying to corrupt the human race, um, pollute the gene pool in a way to try to stop the Messiah, the Savior, from coming into the world. That's an interesting theory, but what I wanna focus on is this. Peter said Jesus went down and he proclaimed something to these fallen angels. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus preach to these dark spirits? Well, Peter doesn't tell us, but I agree with Dr. John MacArthur that it was a message of victory. And so MacArthur says this, and I quote, between Christ's death and his resurrection, by the way, his bodily resurrection, if somebody believes that Jesus' resurrection was just spiritual, his body's still in the grave, that's, that's the teachings of cults, ladies and gentlemen. Orthodox Christianity, believes in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same body that was crucified is the body that walked out of the grave glorified. Okay, so I'm just sharing that real quick. It's not in my notes, but that's Orthodox Christianity, okay? So you gotta get that. But between Christ's death and his bodily resurrection, his living spirit, in between Friday and Sunday, went to the demon spirits bound in the abyss and proclaimed that in spite of his death, he had triumphed over them. I mean, talk about a fascinating passage of scripture. Can you imagine, can you see Jesus down there? He's preaching, he's proclaiming this message. We don't know what he said. Maybe it's something like this. Hey, fallen angels, you tried to stop me from coming, but guess what, I came. I left heaven and I entered the world through a virgin's womb. I clothed myself in human flesh and I went to a cross and I paid for the sins of all mankind. And you need to know, by the way, that through my cross, Colossians 2, 14 and 15, 
I will forgive anybody who turns to me in repentance and faith. And I have disarmed you, and I have disarmed all those like you in the world. I have put you to an open shame. I have defeated you. I have triumphed. This is our Lord, our hero, our savior, and this is something about what he said that day. And so, here's the thing, on both sides of the street, I really appreciate your enthusiasm, right, and your clapping, but listen, the Son of God deserves so much more than that. On this Easter Sunday, if you really, from the bottom of your genuine heart, if you are so grateful that Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, overcame sin, death, hell, Satan, and all his minions, that he got the victory for you and I, now let him know with a shout of praise. Put your hands together, clap your hands, let him know. Let that echo, let that echo. Because he's worthy of all of our praise. As Jordan said a little while ago, not half, all of it. Just worship the king and do it without any embarrassment because he hung half naked on a cross without any embarrassment for you and I. And so Peter ended verse 20 by saying that the eight people in Noah's family, those eight people that got into the ark, they were brought safely through the waters of the flood, and then he said this in our very next verse, verse 21. So visitors, you see what we're doing, right? Just verse by verse. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. And so you need to know that the flood waters way back in Noah's day were a type of something very important in our lives, and that is baptism, which is a beautiful picture of our salvation. And so Noah lived in this very sinful, very corrupt world. It was filled with evil people. The Bible says, I'm paraphrasing, that every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. It was bad. And by the way, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Those things are getting worse, but we have this good news, this message, God always has a remnant. And so, after waiting for a very long time for people to repent, God finally said, enough, because God is a God, not just of love, but of justice. Sins are crimes against the creator, so he sent the flood. He can do that, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. And so, as you know, if you've read the Bible, everyone was destroyed except the believers, Noah and his family, who were safely in the ark. All right, so how does baptism correspond to this? Well, number one, the ark is a type of Christ. And number two, Noah's family is a type of Christians. And so I want you to try to picture this in your mind. When Noah and his family went into the big boat, right, into the ark, what were they doing? They were turning their back on this sinful, corrupt world. They were turning their back on all the violence and corruption and evil. They, they, they were dying to the world as they entered that ark. And so likewise, right, corresponds to this, 
We, when we enter Christ through repentance and faith, we say goodbye to the world, we turn our back, we, we, we die to the sin and corruption, we die to the world as well. So I'm showing you how this all links up. Secondly, while Noah and his family were in that ark, guess what? They were safe from the judgment of God. Likewise, if you and I are really in Christ, who's a picture of the ark, actually the anti-type of the type of the ark, if you're in Christ, guess what? You're safe from the judgment of God. Jesus already received the judgment for your sins on the cross. You don't have to worry about being judged by God. If you're in, it's a big if, Christ. And here's my favorite part. Just as the ark brought Noah and his family from an old life to a new life, an old world to a new world, and a fresh new start, so also Christ, he brings us from the old life to the new life and a brand new start. Baptism is a figure. It pictures all of this. You need to know that the apostles made, in the Bible, made a lot bigger deal about baptism than a lot of evangelical American Christians. <laughs> Baptism's a big deal in the New Testament. And so you have your conversion, and what did the apostles do? They put baptism, they associated it really close as the first step of obedience, right, as something that pictures. And so I'm gonna read my notes because I wanna be super clear about this controversial subject, but I want you to get the truth. It is not that ex the external ceremony of baptism saves us or the process of getting wet. That's not what Peter was saying. It's what baptism symbolizes. That is what saves us, namely our becoming one with Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. Does that make sense? Say amen so I know you guys get the truth here. But here's the question as we begin to wind down. Have you been baptized since, can everybody say the word since? Since you gave your life to Jesus. Because in the New Testament, there's no infant baptism. It just doesn't exist. 100% of the time in the New Testament, first you turn to Christ, receive him as your Savior and Lord, right? Then you get baptism, and baptism pictures that. And so if you haven't been baptized since, you gave your life to Jesus. Good news, first Thursday in May is coming and you can sign up at our website. Just go to Next Steps, click on baptism and sign up. I was told this past Thursday, we had the privilege, listen to this, right here, of baptize, baptizing 16 people last Thursday. Isn't that awesome? And by the way, there was a lot of big tall guys getting baptized, and I don't know how Matt stopped them from hitting their heads on the back of the baptismal, but it was a great celebration that we had this past first Thursday. Well, Peter concludes this section of his letter with these words of victory. It is your last verse. Verse 22, he said that the risen Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. This is the ascension, so bodily resurrection and then his ascension, he is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So ladies and gentlemen, every knee, whether people want to or not, whether angels want to or not, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
He is Lord. So what does all this look like in a chart form? Here's your last slide. Thank you, Ch uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll, for your help here in your commentary. But the descent and ascent of Christ, I said a lot of words, but I thought maybe if you saw a picture, it would crystallize in your mind. And so Jesus Christ is not created. He is the creator. He is the eternal Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, and he was in a glorified state with his Father in heaven. And then, God so loved the world, left part of the screen, he gave his only son. And Jesus Christ clothed himself in humanity, 100% God, 100% man, he came to this world. Why? He was born to die on Calvary. He went through his passion and his crucifixion to pay for the sins of mankind. That's our sins as well. But then, it didn't stop there, even though his body was in the tomb, his disembodied spirit made a further descent into the Hades, abode of the dead. There he proclaimed the message to those fallen angels. I personally think he did a lot more while he was down there that the Bible was silent on. The Bible's silent, I don't wanna talk about it too much. And then his bodily resurrection on Easter Sunday morning, he walks out of the tomb victorious over sin and death. He gathers his disciples, he gives them the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and then he ascends later into heaven, exalted back to his glorified state, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the good news of the Christian faith. The question is, will you embrace it, or will you reject it, or will you put it off? I'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes on both sides of the street as we just take a few moments to give people a, a chance to respond to this good news. And so if you're here today and you're not sure where you stand with God, you have no idea where you're gonna go when you die. And by the way, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. All of us were in that position at some time in our life. So you're not sure, what you need to hear is this, um, and that is, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, the Bible says. You can't earn your way to heaven. Hey, if you could be good enough to go to heaven, why did Jesus come and die on a cross? So forget the good works. That's not gonna get you to heaven. And you're here and you're not sure where you're gonna go when you die. And you wanna know, you wanna be right with God. You want to be forgiven and have that relationship with the Lord. If that's you, and you would love to have Jesus as your savior, with no one looking around, can you just raise your hand and say, pray for me, pastor. I don't know where I am in my relationship with God. I don't know where I'm going when I die. Please pray for me. Just raise your hand on both sides of the road, and um, I'm gonna pray for you here in just a moment. And I just want you to be honest between you and the Lord. I don't know where I stand with the Lord, God bless you guys. Um, I wanna be forgiven by Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to know, that heaven and hell are real. Jesus, who knows a lot about this subject, talked extensively about it. And one day, 10 out of 10 people die. One day, you will come to that place where you'll take your last breath. Please, don't make the error of living for yourself the rest of your life. Please get serious about this topic of eternal life. And so 
One more, one more um, opportunity here. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going when I die. I'd like to be sure. I'd like for Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. Just raise your hand, um, and I will pray for you. Pastor Andrew's praying for people across the street as well. Yep, God bless you guys. Okay, so what we're gonna do is I want to, God bless you, sir. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray right now for you, but I also want you to pray to Jesus right there from your seat, from your heart, and I would love for you right now to give your life to Jesus Christ. There's no reason to put this off. And so again, the simple ABCs of the gospel is that you and I have sinned, we deserve death and hell, Jesus loves us, he paid it all on the cross, rose again, and now we need to receive him as Savior and Lord. If you're ready to do that on both sides of the street right now, from your heart to his heart, say this to the Lord. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I know that the penalty of sin is death, but I believe you died in my place. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for loving me. I believe you rose from the grave. And right here and now, I open my heart to you. I choose you, Jesus. Come and be my savior and forgive me. Come and be the Lord and the boss of my life. I thank you for this gift of eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So if you authentically, genuinely, just came to Christ as your Savior and Lord, then the Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And then the Bible says the first step of obedience is baptism. And so once again, May 6th is coming. I wanna encourage you to go public with your faith. The way we go public with our faith is through baptism. I wanna encourage you to be baptized and then follow the Lord for the rest of your life. Now we have a free gift for you. Those of you who just gave your life to Christ, uh, we have a New Testament um, that we wanna give to you right after the closing prayer. And so if you just received Christ as your savior, we have plenty of these New Testaments, we wanna give that to you for free, both sides of the street. Uh, just come on up after the closing prayer and we would love to encourage you, give you that New Testament um, and send you on your way. If you're visiting with us, we wanna encourage you to get your free gift on the way out through those doors, those tables. You can get your free coffee mug. Thanks for coming. We hope you come back next week. Next week, we just go to the next verse, 1 Peter 4.1. So I encourage you to come to one of our four services um, next week. And then finally, in order to always reaffirm your faith in the gospel, we have the gospel on our website. And so if you go to our website, calvarypsl.com, click on I'm new here and click on Knowing Christ. The gospel is there. Read it, affirm your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand now uh, for closing prayer. And so Father, we thank you for this weekend to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for your love for us. And God, I pray that uh, those who uh, just gave their lives to Jesus, that they would come and receive the encouragement in the Bible, Lord, that they need on both sides of the street. And Father, we just pray that this week you'll empower us by your spirit 
to be witnesses, Lord, for you and for your great name. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.